Welcome to Stay Grounded with your host, me, Raj Jana. I'm the founder of Java Press Coffee Company, and my life changed after my mentor died with three months left until retirement. That experience inspired me to start a personal journey to discover how we can all live a purpose-driven and meaningful life starting today. I interview everyone from best-selling authors and business moguls to extreme athletes and monks to discuss happiness, success, and fulfillment to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. Yo, yo, what's up, everyone? And welcome to this week's very special episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you're all having a beautiful day so far. (sighs) I'm so excited for you guys to be meeting this week's amazing guest, Mr. Paul F. Austin. So before I introduce Paul and all the amazing work he does in the world, I do want to speak to the title of this episode, Mastering the Skill of Psychedelics. I have been wanting to bring someone on the show for some time now who is well-versed in practices to safely integrate psychedelics into your life, whether it's for mental health, whether it's for healing, whether it's for leadership development, whether it's for increasing creativity, whatever your desire or curiosity is for leaning into psychedelics. I wanted to bring someone on the show who could sort of do a deep dive at an entry level of what it means to even engage with psychedelics, what psychedelics are, and so much more. And I've been pretty open about the role that psychedelics have played in my life, you know, just as I've gone down my path over the last several years. Paul is on another level. Paul is the founder of The Third Wave, which is one of the leading psychedelic or the psychedelic education websites on the internet with hundreds of blog articles that go into the safe integration of psychedelic therapy into your life. You know, it talks about how to set intentions, what intentions are, and so much more. And Paul is just one of those guys that he he's not only somebody who obviously created the third wave, but he's also somebody who's really dedicating his his life to pioneering the responsible use of psychedelics in the world. And I learned so much from Paul in this episode. And we went in so many different directions, everything from what we're even talking about when we say that psychedelics are a skill and the differences between psychedelics and pharmaceutical medicines, what it means, like how do you actually engage with them? What are things you need to be looking out for when you're using psychedelics? What's the difference between a macro dose and a micro dose and so much more? I mean, this conversation, the resources on the third wave, um, Paul's new book, Mastering Psychedelics, A Practical Guide to Microdosing Psychedelics, A Practical Guide to Upgrade Your Life. All of these are amazing resources for you to basically tiptoe your foot into the world of psychedelics. So if you've been curious, if you're like, what is all the psychedelic therapy about? Where is it coming from? All that good stuff. This is a fantastic episode for you to get an entry-level look into what it means to engage with psychedelics and how to get started if you are interested. I just want to fully disclose here that nothing we talk about on this episode is mental health advice. And if you have any type of mental health condition, please do not take this as like the holy gospel grail. This is our lived experience that we're sharing here. But if you have anything that you're unsure of, please consult with your doctor and talk to them before you engage with any of these psychedelics or any of these therapies that we may recommend on the show. 
All right. That's all I got, guys. And if you haven't already subscribed to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or any of the podcast apps, all that means is that every single time we release a new episode, it's dropped straight into your inbox. Tag us on social media if this episode landed for you. And please let me know. I love hearing from you guys. I really do. It nourishes my soul when I hear your stories of how the podcast has played a role in your life. And so if you've been shy or if you've been waiting for the perfect moment to say hi to me, now is the perfect moment. So anyways, all right, that's all I got. Enjoy this episode. And without further ado, here is my main man, Mr. Paul F. Austin. Enjoy. Yo, 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 what's up everyone? And welcome to this week's very special episode of Stay Grounded. Paul, welcome. Thank you, Raj. It's been a journey <laughs> being your friend the last 15 months. And I'm glad that we could uh, do a live live conversation together on the pod. What are we what are we coming up on? A year now? Had to have been over a year. We I mean September? so we jammed. We jammed. That was September in 2021 that we met at the Baby Bathwater event in New Orleans and it was love at first sight. That's right. We actually hung out the entire event. We, we did, yeah. It was insane. Yeah. And, but, yeah. And you know, I've been I said this earlier to you, but I've been wanting to bring somebody who's incredibly well versed, somebody who I trust on the show to discuss psychedelics and the safe use of psychedelics, the effective use of psychedelics for a while now. And um, so I'm just super stoked, dude, especially with the book out now and just all the resources that you've been creating on Third Wave. It's just, it's such a perfect time to have this conversation. Um, you mentioned something before we uh, hit the record button around psychedelics being a skill. Can you expand on that concept and let that set the stage? And then we'll just take the conversation where it needs to go. I don't know where your listeners are at. There are probably some that are quite familiar with psychedelics and plant medicine. There are probably some that have had their own experiences. Let's there assume may be others. zero. Right. That's what I mean. That there may be others that have no sort of context yeah. and awareness of it. So um, I'll provide a little bit of context that I think will be helpful. And then I'll go into kind of that concept of the the skill of psychedelics and, and what that entails. So... Um, We've been using these medicines for thousands of years. You know, some would even say tens of thousands of years. The ancient Greeks used psychedelics as part of their rituals to be in touch with the mysteries. Uh, ayahuasca has been used in the Amazon for thousands of years. Peyote, there's, there's archaeological evidence of peyote use, which is a, a cacti in Mexico of over 15,000 years ago, right? So as human beings, we have a rich, rich uh, history with these medicines. And it's only in the last 50 years that they've been prohibited and stigmatized and looked down upon in a really widespread, globalized, significant way. And it's really unfortunate because psychedelics, as a result of being illegal, have been caught up in sort of the uh, the war on drugs. And they've been, I, I would say, there's been conflation, you know, confusion even around the difference between, let's say, psychedelics and cocaine or psychedelics and heroin. And these drugs, even psychedelics and alcohol. All of these drugs are very, very different. And psychedelics are in fact anti-addictive. There's clinical research proving their efficacy for PTSD, depression, addiction, alcoholism, end-of-life anxiety. And uh, they've now become legalized in Oregon, uh, psilocybin, and now Colorado in the recent election. So we're really going through this third wave of psychedelics, right? This rebirth of interest in utilizing these medicines. And so I've been in this space for about seven years 
I started Third Wave over seven years ago as an educational platform. Uh, my background is in teaching and education. Uh, I've also started a, a legal psilocybin retreat center in the Netherlands. We've done uh, high dose psilocybin experiences for over a thousand people. Uh, so my awareness around psychedelics is both educational. It's around the use of high doses. I've done a lot. The new book that I wrote called Mastering Microdosing is all around microdosing, which is about a tenth of a regular dose of a psychedelic. And then psychedelics, I always look at as catalysts uh, for change. They're great at opening a window of neuroplasticity that allows us to integrate new behaviors on an ongoing basis. And because our culture at large is so, let's say, ignorant, about psychedelics because they've been tucked away for so long. Yeah. All of us are really at the beginning stage of understanding how to work with them. And so just like the parallel example that I give is just like in the, you know, when the printing press was invented in the mid 15th century, prior to the printing press being invented for over a thousand years, literacy was incredibly low all across Europe and the world, right? And with the invention of the printing press, there, you know, in the Renaissance and the Enlightenment, there were a select, let's say, 10% of people who learned how to read and write and think and articulate, uh, which was essential to the development of the university and academic system. And so what we're going through now with mastering the skill of reading, mastering the skill of writing. So we're going through a similar revival right now in Resurgence, where we're attempting to master the skill of, let's say, I would even call it spirituality. I was going to say consciousness or expanding your awareness. Yeah. Exactly. And so, and, and so psychedelics then are a tool and a very powerful tool to facilitate that process. And because they're so powerful, then they require a certain level of skill when learning how to work with them. And so the way that I frame it for folks who are looking at the skill of psychedelics is like anything, um, you know, you have to actually do it to become more skillful at it. So you can read all about jujitsu and you can read all about, you know, cooking and you can read all about whatever. But unless you actually are practicing jujitsu, you know, in the kitchen and cooking and actually working and trying psychedelics, it's not embodied. It's not integrated. It doesn't really matter. So the first step in the first process is to actually work with psychedelics. And this is why I've emphasized the last seven years, the importance of microdosing, because the vast majority of people who are looking to start to work with psychedelics aren't necessarily interested in going to the Amazon and drinking ayahuasca or eating five grams of mushrooms in the dark. Nor are they ready, right? That's right. It's a process. It's not appropriate for everyone. And so and and it's and it can be unsafe in some ways if somebody enters into a macro dose experience without having a foundational level of awareness or or constitution, right? Exactly. So the context is everything. The set and setting is everything. Prior experience with altered states uh, means a lot. And so the the metaphor that I often use is rather than just jumping in the deep end right away and attempting to learn how to swim at the deep end of your consciousness, first put on your swimmies, go in the shallow end, get a sense for the water, right? Learn that way. Have a teacher, right? When we were like three or four years old, at least for me, when I learned how to swim, I was in the shallow end. I was kicking around. You know, it felt safe. It felt comfortable. It felt good. And then, as I became more comfortable in the water, I could take off the swimmies and go, go in the deep end. Psychedelics right. are much the same, right? Start low, go slow, and so that that capacity then to understand that and to know that is part of that skill. But even beyond that, part of the skill of psychedelics is knowing which medicine is appropriate. Ketamine, which is a legal uh, disassociative commonly used as an anesthetic, but has more and more research has come out supporting its efficacy for depression and suicidality and a number of other things. So ketamine is different than MDMA. 
And MDMA is different than psilocybin, and psilocybin is significantly different than 5-MeO-DMT, right? So having sort of a basic understanding of, oh, although these are all considered psychedelics, each one is slightly different, right? Each one maybe has a different intention uh, around it. And then the final, the final component for this sort of context around the skill of psychedelics is, as I mentioned before, psychedelics are incredible tools for neuroplasticity. And so part of the skill of psychedelics is then, okay, you know, I have this experience, you know, whether it's with microdosing or low dosing or even a high dose of a psychedelic, now what? Right? The experience is beautiful. The experience is profound. It's insightful, but integration yeah. of whatever came up is critical and essential. And this comes back to then. What are the day-to-day practices that are non-psychedelic, the lifestyle practices, meditation, diet, exercise, sleep, movement, sun, healthy relationships, right? What are the things that need to start to shift in your everyday life to create a more supportive and loving and nourishing environment for your growth and evolution? And so I think that's often, especially in the, in the psychedelic landscape, it's something that's often forgotten because in many ways, the emphasis has so much been on the altered state. But what matters way more is the altered trait, right? So how do we have these altered states that lead to altered traits so that we actually change as a human being? We become more aware, we become more self-regulated, we become you know, more connected on a personal level. We, we care more about sort of the collective healing and, and the collective consciousness. All those well, things. I want to just highlight what you mentioned about neuroplasticity, right? The brain's ability to actually change. And like, I think that was a big awareness for me when I first got into psychedelics or when I started using occasional psychedelics for therapeutic purposes, for leadership development purposes. And that, that was it. Like there's only so much you can see on your own. There's only so much you can see with another person. Oftentimes there's a vast range of unconscious sort of operating systems and conditionings that are sort of living in the background, just operating and driving behaviors. And psychedelics can be like a very strong mirror in a lot of cases, which is why I'm really interested in when, when we first started jamming, like you were such a proponent for microdosing and, and really influence and bringing in like those, those, those lighter doses to actually begin. So what is the difference between microdosing and macrodosing from like a benefit perspective? That's a great question. So Metaphors, I find, are often great ways to to explain this, to communicate this, because until you've actually had the experience itself, it can be at times challenging to put into words. So the metaphor that I often use to describe the difference between a high dose and a microdose is a high dose is like someone is intensely shaking you to get the message, right? And so it can be very confrontational. There can be a lot of shadow work. Uh, there are parts of the experience or journey that can be very difficult. Uh, usually, it, there's an outpouring of repressed emotion that can come with it. There's There, there can often be a, an enormous catharsis of repressed energy. It's really about the high dose and confronting what needs to be confronted. Like you said, looking into the mirror and facing yourself in a significant way. And then also recognizing through that process that you are not what you think you are, that you are way more expansive and way more transcendent than just the physical form that you've been given, right? And so there's this classic mystical experience that happens with these high doses of psychedelics that often leads to a before psychedelics and after psychedelics moment. Before what I always describe as my before acid and after acid, before ayahuasca and after ayahuasca, there's a significant paradigm shift that happens with these high doses. Microdosing is much more subtle. 
right? So if, if a high dose is someone shaking you to get the message, a microdose is someone just whispering. And that whisper is often easier to hear, it's easier to process, it's easier to integrate. So when we're microdosing, you know, like I said, it's about a tenth of a regular dose. The initial definition around microdosing was subperceptual, meaning you don't feel anything. That now has been shifted to where it's what I would consider to be subintoxicating. So you can still navigate your everyday life. Uh, you're not necessarily like with a high dose, putting on an eye mask and sort of going into these deep journey spaces. You're really looking at microdosing as a performance enhancer. Or something that provides, you know, just a slightly better mood or slightly more energy or, or a slightly more sort of open, connected disposition throughout the day. And that microdosing then really is good for consistent, let's say, neuroplasticity. When we do a high dose, there's a massive dump of BDNF, brain-derived neurotropic factor, which is a precursor to neuroplasticity, which often allows for this afterglow experience uh, after a high dose of a psychedelic, where for a week or two after a high dose of a psychedelic, things will feel flowy, you'll feel more connected, you'll feel more present, right? You'll be able to meditate more consistently and more often, you'll make better decisions. And then inevitably, part of the afterglow starts to dissipate. And so the role of microdosing then is to elongate that afterglow, because when we consistently microdose, we're consistently providing food uh, for neuroplasticity, which then allows us to just make more consistent changes on a day-to-day basis. Oftentimes, kind of what you were getting back to is, especially as we get into our 30s, 40s, and 50s, there's a lot of rumination, there's a lot of ruts, there's a lot of the same paths that we follow throughout life. And so both of these these substances, you know, a high dose is like, the best metaphor is um, when we go skiing, there's the same hills that are being skied on and the same paths that are being skied down those hills. But when a fresh thing, a powder comes in, all of a sudden you can weave a bunch of new pathways, right? And so the high dose allows for that fresh powder. And then I think of microdosing as the, uh, it just helps you to be more creative about the pathways that you're weaving and make sure that they're very articulate and very intentional and very specific about a goal or an outcome or a, a thing that you want to grow into, whatever it is that you're becoming. Well, I think that's what's also really powerful about the way you're even describing the use of psychedelics. It's with intention. You know, I remember there's the difference between being in college and just, you know, taking a bunch of mushrooms and doing a bunch of stupid shit versus like sitting intentionally with the plant, respecting the plant, revering the plant for its wisdom, and then using that as a time to collect your own intention, your own introspection before actually engaging in it to get to a desired end outcome. So from that lens, how important is the intention? Because there have been times where I've been told, have a really strong intention of what you want and where you want to go. And then other times it's like, just surrender and allow and like, don't have as clear of an endpoint. And so like, do you have any thoughts or opinions or even perspectives that you can share from your communities or your own journey to like kind of inform uh, that that sort that idea. Well, and what you're hitting at, Raj, is, is paradox, right? And paradox is central to these non-dual experiences. So psychedelics facilitate an experience of non-duality, and so naturally, when we when we work with these substances, all of a sudden we're confronted with the paradox of life, right? And this has been, if you look at the Tao Te Ching, if you look at uh, you know black and white, the yin yang symbol, managing and navigating the complexity of paradox is central to the process of awareness. 
more or less. That's why in Zen Buddhism, they have cones, right? You're given a cone, it's a paradox, and you have to sit with it and be present with it until it finally sort of bubbles over and you come through this enlightenment, this, this realization. And so when it comes to that balance of intention versus surrender, it's very much a similar thing, right? Where intention really is the work that's done prior and the work that's done after even. So cultivating intention requires self-reflection. Cultivating intention requires consideration, requires a capacity to go into the shadow. It requires an ability to really look at the parts of ourselves that we don't normally want to look at. And by doing that work, by going through that process, what ends up happening is our journey becomes, let's say, more productive. There's more material to work with. We're better primed to actually go into the parts of ourselves that we normally would not face because psychedelics are what we call non-specific amplifiers. So by priming before an experience, our conscious and subconscious and even unconscious with material uh, that helps us to reflect, that journey then allows us to actually navigate and go into that material. Yeah. And yet, as you mentioned, so much of the benefit that comes from a high-dose journey is that capacity to surrender. And so it's this ability, again, in, in sort of a paradoxical way, it's this ability to be totally committed to that intention and have that intention 100% refined and yet at the same time to be non-attached mm. and to let that go and to allow for whatever wants to come up. And oftentimes what happens is the intention becomes a lifeline. Uh, the intention becomes an anchor. Uh, the intention becomes something that when you're going deep into ayahuasca or psilocybin journey, there are ways that we can get lost. There are ways that we can become anxious. There are ways that we can become overwhelmed. Right. And oftentimes the breath tied to that intention acts as a mantra, acts as an anchor to come back to, to remind ourselves of who we are, to remind ourselves of our power, of our capacity. And so that anchor is really important. Um, because having that anchor is actually, again, in, in sort of a paradoxical way, having that anchor is what allows for the surrender. Well, and I think the, the word that's coming through for me right now is trust. And I think trust is one of the more potent medicines that just all of us can practice. And I think for me, surrender and psychedelics certainly have accelerated my own trust in surrendering, like letting go of control. Because I think... Traditionally, I'm somebody who has a lot of like planning. I love to reflect. I love to structure my day. I love to have all this. So intentionally entering into an experience, knowing that I'm not always going to be in the driver's seat. And that if I, when I think the bigger thing is, you know, if I had the answers to the thing that's, that's creating suffering for me right now, I wouldn't need to go into the psychedelics. I wouldn't need to go into the tools, but me seeking the tools is because there's something in front of me that I can't see. So it's almost like you have to surrender your, like the way that you see things, the way that you know things, which can be really scary at times. How do you speak to that fear of potentially exploring the shadow? And if somebody isn't really ready to explore the shadow, do psychedelics still have a place inside of their wellness protocol there is it meant just for the ones that want to see versus the ones that you know and i'd love for you to speak to that yeah so contextualizing shadow work the capacity for someone to confront the shadow and i think in the last few years i've done quite a bit of study on the shadow there's a fantastic book on this called the little book on the human shadow by robert bly who also wrote a book called iron john 
And what uh, Robert talks about in that book is shadow is not necessarily evil. Shadow is simply what we repressed in order to be loved by our parents and by our community. And so the allowance of all of those aspects of ourselves that we repress allows for a more whole and integrated self. So I think inevitably, anyone who is on a path of uh, growth, awareness, personal development has to do shadow work. They have to confront what is in the shadow. And in many ways, psychedelics are one of the best tools to confront the shadow because they force you to look at it. And I think there's a sense, you know, I often hear friends talk about having kids. We're not, no one thinks they're ready to have a kid until they actually have a kid. And I think it's much the same with shadow work. No one thinks they're actually ready to do shadow work until they just have to confront and do shadow work. And it's better to do it on our own terms, what's called willful participation, rather than being forced by life to do it. Because if you are forced by life to do it, chances are you're already suffering in a significant way, right? And so actually taking the the proactive stance utilizing psychedelics to do that shadow work is critical. And then this comes back to what I mentioned with the skill of psychedelics. Because to do shadow work, MDMA is pretty good, especially for, let's say, complex PTSD and catharsis of, of like trauma, like deep, deep trauma. But ayahuasca, I think, is the ideal medicine for shadow work. I mean, you even look at where ayahuasca comes from. It comes from the deep jungle of the Amazon. It has this sort of feminine spirit to it. It's it's Anyone who's drank ayahuasca probably knows precisely what I'm talking about. And so when working with it, there's purging, uh, there's release, there's catharsis, there's surrender. So it really allows for that deep shadow work. But that's not to say that someone listening to this couldn't do shadow work with ketamine or MDMA or psilocybin. Those are still great tools. I think the final point on this is you know, you talk about trust, you talk, we're talking about surrender, we're talking about the capacity to let go, we're talking about working with these medicines. What matters so, so much in this process then is who you are choosing as a provider, as a therapist, as a guide, as a coach, as a shaman, as a retreat center, as a clinic, because your capacity to surrender and release will be directly related to the rapport and the trust that you've established with the individual or the team that you are choosing. The safety. Safety is what creates healing. Safety is what creates expansion. I mean, at the end of the day, if you don't feel safe, your mind is not going to surrender. <laughs> exactly. It's so interesting, man. Like you you mentioned, I, I just got back from my first ayahuasca journey. And oh, that was your first one. That was my first one. Yeah, I've done a lot of different. Oh, I've done a lot of different ceremonies, a lot of different psychedelics, but like ayahuasca is one I've been waiting, and it just never worked out timing wise. And I could not agree with you more in in the potency of the medicine, even from the dieta, which is like the preparation, like the intention setting process for that medicine, to the actual facilitation and the the indigenous sort of nature to like we did it in the jungles like we were in nature. in a maloca um no we were actually in a in a cactus labyrinth in costa rica it's uh you got to check this place it's called lacenda have you heard of it yeah there did you do it with the shipibo we did it with uh the yahe so it was a colombian oh you did it with yahe yeah okay yeah. yahe's intense yahe is even more intense than it was than the most intense experience i've ever had to me, like one came from a, an incredible referral. The people there I trusted deeply. There was just so many things that allowed me to feel safe. And I do feel like for me, at least personally, like 
I don't think I would have been ready for that two years ago. Like, I don't think I would have been ready to see the things that ayahuasca was showing me years ago. Like, and so there's wisdom to all the times I thought I wanted to do it. Like I literally have been trying to go do an ayahuasca ceremony for two years. And every single time I do it, something would fall through or it would be massively inconvenient or COVID would happen. Like something would just happen and like, it just wouldn't come into fruition. And so I think there's a lot of wisdom in also like, like, or maybe I'd love to hear your perspective on like intuition and the role that intuition plays with sort of this journey of consciousness exploring using psychedelics and when is it appropriate to sort of push your comfort zone and get out and do something that you may not be how do you actually begin to discern between intuitively you're like oh it's not the right time versus i'm just afraid of what i'm going to see and i can't handle like how do you actually like play with that very fine line when it comes to choosing psychedelics or even engaging in psychedelics you know, as you were talking through this, one word that came up was patience. There's so often times, especially in sort of American culture, where we hear about a new thing, we hear about a new shiny object, we hear about a new pill, we hear about a new diet, we hear about a new whatever. We're like, I want that. I want to get it. And I think psychedelics are in that phase right now where people are like, I want immediate healing, immediate transformation. I want to be totally different than I was yesterday or totally different than I was a week ago. And there is a truth to that, to the fact that psychedelics are incredibly transformative, that they are incredibly helpful and healing. And yet there's also a truth that I've learned from psychedelics that sometimes the path is windy. Uh, it's nonlinear. It goes down before it goes back up. Sometimes it takes years and years and years. You know, I've been working with myself. I did psychedelics for the first time about 13 years ago. And it wasn't until 12 years into that that I did 5-MeO-DMT, the toad. It wasn't until seven years into that that I did ayahuasca. Yeah. Right? So there can be sort of a mania, a, a, a manic disposition that comes when we start to work with psychedelics, which is I want to do all of them and I want to go really intense with them. And I think what I would always encourage is patience and to allow for things to unwind. So even this gets into back into the skill of psychedelics. Yeah, which is when we're looking at these high dose journeys, we're really looking at maybe once every three to six months that we're going back into that space. You're looking at microdosing is maybe once or twice a week. And then we're looking at lifestyle practices as every single day we're showing up for ourselves, right? We're showing up for ourselves in meditation and breath work uh, and presence and awareness. And what happens then as we continue to show up for ourselves more and more and more is we just need to follow one track to the next. And so that process of intuition, that process of being still, that process of really listening tends to unfold. And so I think the, the way to check ourselves is if there's a feeling of mania, if there's a feeling of scarcity, if there's a feeling I need to have this, I need to do this, that maybe is a good thing to check in on and really ask, where is that coming from? Is that coming from you know, a place of lack of love and lack of self-worth? Which is the actual thing to look at. Which right. is, right? Like, and that's the piece that I think even for me, like the, the psychedelics, the tools don't actually do any of the, well, they can do the healing, but what well, they I create actually, awareness. So, right? so that's there's, what I was going to get to. Like, experience. I think the tools just either create more opening in the body or mm -hmm. increase your awareness to be able to see all the different aspects of your unconscious mind that are creating your present day reality. Like that's what's actually increasing. And so to me, as you take psychedelics or as you engage in any tool, when you increase awareness and increase opening, there's shit to process. 
and their shit to be with. And that's where the lifestyle practices, potentially even microdosing. I mean, that's why I'm, I'm actually curious to know like the role that microdosing might play inside of the journey of actually learning to love yourself, forgive yourself, forgive others, like create more wholeness and clarity within the human system as opposed to some of like maybe the more macro journeys, which are like, just kind of like give you a ton to work. It's like, I feel like the journeys give you a ton to work with. And then the work begins of working with that stuff, making lifestyle changes, having the hard conversations, setting the boundaries, learning to love yourself, all that good stuff. But the way you describe microdosing is like, it's actually more of a lifestyle. So how, I think I'd love some clarity there, even for myself on the role that microdosing can play to maybe integrate difficult experiences, mm-hmm. to integrate more awareness, to integrate a more opening in the body and the feelings. Uh, love your thoughts. Yeah. So the way that I would describe this, there's a couple of things that are coming up. One is these high dose experiences allow us often to set a new North Star. Right. So we have these deep non-dual experiences. Uh, we have these visions. We have these insights. We have this awareness of oh, this is who I'm becoming. Or yeah. This is what I'm becoming. right? And it allows us to have that 50,000 foot view of that process. And you're like, and you can anchor in this vision. right? And yet, what we all know is when we come back into everyday life, we're still in our same way. right? So there's still a delta between who we are now and who we are becoming. And what microdosing does is it lubricates the path. It acts as a sort of development lubricant where it accelerates our path from where we are now to who we are becoming. So the way that I would practically say that is if we're not working with microdoses or we're not really working with psychedelics, the development path is still possible. It just is going to take a lot longer. right? So you can still become enlightened through meditation by sitting down in a cushion every day for years and years, maybe. But if you take five grams of mushrooms, you almost certainly know without a, without a doubt that you will have an experience. In a safe setting, because uh, it can be absolutely it can go yeah, in yeah. An it has to be contextualized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It can go in an opposite direction, but you will have an experience. Yes, right, and that experience will be it will be something, uh, whether it's bad or good, depends on the set and setting and how you prepare and how you contextualize it. And so, think of microdosing when we when we look at integration, right? Like our normal everyday consciousness, let's say, is Aldous Huxley described it as an aperture. We only we have this thing in our brain, so to say that only allows for us to see about 10% of, of our reality. And what that does is it allows us to pay our taxes, to pay our bills, to go about our everyday life, to do our work that we need to, right? It allows us to stay focused, all that. When we do a high dose of a psychedelic, that aperture opens significantly, right? So now we're taking in 50% of things. We're taking in things from our subconscious. We're taking in things from our unconscious. We're taking in energetic things from outside of us, right? We're way more open and way more suggestible. But that's not sustainable. We can't stay in that state forever. We can't stay in a deep journey space because it's not feasible yeah. to do on a day-to-day basis. What microdosing does is microdosing just allows that aperture to be a little bit more open every day. And because that aperture is a little bit more open every day, then things from the subconscious and things from the unconscious are just coming up uh, with more speed. They're coming up more often. And so what that means and what we always recommend is if you are microdosing as part of that process, it is so, so important to have a practice around meditation or breath work or yoga or something to integrate that additional material. Because if you don't, what often happens is that aperture is open, 
but there's no way to contextualize it. So it can often lead to this sort of energetic mismatch is probably the best way to describe it, where people get anxious, yeah. people get overwhelmed, people get manic, people get, there's too much chaos. So there has to be an equivalent amount of stillness for the additional material that's coming in through microdosing, which I think is important for a lot of people in today's world. We're always go, 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 go. And so that, you know, I just was teasing my girlfriend this morning, you know, because we were talking about if we're going to meditate or not. And I'm like, look, what the monks say is if you can't meditate for 10 minutes, that means you probably should meditate for an hour. (laughs) Right. That just being on the hamster wheel, so to say, is a sign that, oh, I need to take a step back. I need to slow down. I need to listen. I need to be with. Right. And that is actually the real teaching rather than I just got to do all this shit and get it done. I'm really interested in now kind of moving the conversation more to like safely actually, like like you said, practitioners, retreat centers. Is that the best way to, I mean, in my experience, I've always done psychedelics with a facilitator with right. um, somebody who's extremely trained. I mean, they're at least in a therapeutic setting, if I'm really trying to intentionally approach my healing or my awareness or my opening, facilitators are massive. How does one, and I know you talk about this in your book because I, um, I was going through that section, I thought it was valuable, but I'd love for you to actually start to like, bring out like some of the principles there around how do you actually know how to trust somebody? Because there's a lot of, I've met some people out there that are serving medicine that should not be serving medicine. Like I have met, like there's just a lot of, it's very convoluted. And so I think in a sea of shit, there's also gold, which is what we're talking about here, right? We're talking about the responsible use of psychedelics for for awakening and, and growth and healing. But even people with the best intentions can get lost. So like what advice would you have for them? What guidelines would you have for them as they enter into this journey? So with third wave, we're taking a three-pronged approach, right? First and foremost, it's education. So this is, I think, the first step. Listening to podcasts, go on third wave, check out our guides, listen to our podcasts, you know, maybe read a book or two about it, including the one that I wrote, Mastering Microdosing. Just start that educational process to get a sense of the landscape, to get a sense of uh, the different medicines, get a sense of best practices. I think that's first and foremost, right? Take that responsibility upon yourself to do that homework. I think that's critical and important. The next element of what we emphasize is then vetted and verified providers, right? There have to be trustworthy providers. And so to your question, how do I find a trustworthy provider? How do I know who to commit to? I think one thing that's beautiful about microdosing is you don't necessarily need a guide there who is going to be present every time you microdose. What I do think is helpful is for people who are brand new to psychedelics or even brand new to microdosing to hire a coach who knows something about microdosing. And we're training a bunch of them. We have a coach training program. So we're training everyone in this methodology. So in our directory on Third Wave, we have a bunch of coaches that you can reach out to if you do want support on that microdosing journey and through that process. But then more importantly, if, if someone's interested in, you know, what about ketamine as a legal option? Or what about psilocybin? Uh, you know, I, like I mentioned, I started a retreat center in the Netherlands. Or what about ayahuasca? First and foremost, what it comes down to is word of mouth. So you mentioned, you know, you went and sat in ayahuasca last week and it was through someone, I think you mentioned it was through a referral. You know, someone told you about it, someone that you really trust told you about it. And so you naturally then trusted them to be able to go into that space and do that. So I think that's the first test is for this provider or for this person, have you, um, you know, do you know someone who has sat with them and has had a really beneficial or really great experience. I think that's first. I think second is 
you know, part of what we're doing with Third Wave in our provider network is we have reviews on all these retreats. Cool. We have just star reviews, but we also have longer pieces of content that we've written up about some retreats. So I think the other thing is just to do a Google search and get a sense for what are people saying about this place? What is their methodology? What are their practices? Are they really honoring and paying attention to the preparation? Are they really, do they have things set up for the integration afterwards? Who are the facilitators that they brought in? Do they have a lot of experience in this or are they brand new? So I think the next part is really just doing your homework on providers, doing your homework on different retreat centers. And then if someone's listening to this and they're more interested in like a clinic, Ketamine clinics are legal now, but a lot of ketamine clinics just put you in a chair, uh, pump you up with some ketamine and say, see you later. So if someone is interested in ketamine, for example, it's a legal experience, I would say, make sure that the clinic you're going to prepares people, you know, is there with them as they're going through the experience, has integration. It should not just be put you in the chair, pump you up, see you later. There, it needs to be an integrated process. Yeah. There needs to be preparation. There needs to be integration afterwards. And then the final component for third wave is community. Right. So education, providers, and community. This is my belief. These three components are required to have successful integration of psychedelics culturally. And so after we have this experience, right? Someone who's listening to this at home, if they just go back into their everyday life, back into the same triggers, back into the same environment, back into all that, likely that not much is necessarily going to change. And so even looking probably get at it worse, it could potentially get because worse. Because now you have this awareness, you have this opening and you're going back. You open Pandora's box and you're going, and so you're even more sensitive yeah. and aware of how much your life sucks or whatever. Yeah. And so I think what's critical then is when we're looking at the retreat center we're going to or the clinic that we're going to, just check and see, do they have a community? Do they have a way to stay in touch with other people, right? Like for synthesis, we do these legal psilocybin retreats and we have 15 people that come to every retreat. So naturally, there's a beautiful community that comes from all those people who are coming on retreats. Or for third wave, we have our training program where we've you know trained like 80 coaches by now and we'll do another 40 pretty soon. So all of those coaches now stay in touch and there's a community that has to develop from that. So I think the other core element is, you know, who are you choosing to surround yourself with? We are the average of the five people that we spend the most time with is sort of the classic quote. Are they... Are they supportive of your path? Are they supportive of your evolution? Are they supportive of your use of psychedelics? Or are they shaming you? Are they stigmatizing you? Are they guilting you? Are they, you know, like really, really look into those relationships as well? Because they matter even more than the psychedelic, more than the medicine, more than the experience. The people who you surround yourself with matter a lot. So much, man. I don't think I would have been able to make any of the shifts I've made in my life over the last four years after my first psychedelic journey if it weren't for community. I mean, and community can look like a lot of things, right? Like I have WhatsApp group chats with people that I meet inside of uh, healing experiences just to keep us updated. It can look like sending Marco Polo is an amazing app that I used early on in my journey. Sending like, you could send like video updates. So it's like a video journal. Have you used Marco Polo before? I've heard of it, but I don't think I've used it. It's fantastic for um, like keeping up with people post journey. Because like you can actually like just send a video of like where you're at, what you're processing. You can see their face. And like, in fact, Gina and I first started like became friends through like just talking to each other on Marco Polo. Like, cause it was, it was a great way to build a connection. And we were like just talking about all the stuff that was showing up for us and all the things we were processing and like all the difficulties and everything that was just present. And, and so there's tools out there for anyone listening. And I do really appreciate the 
come back to like vetting the retreat center and really looking at them and being like, you know, community. Like, I, I think that to me is the most important because it's hard. You know, I, I remember when I first started journeying or coming into the use of psychedelics, like there were, I was making changes in my life, like old friendships, old business partners, old you know, relationships were falling away because I was becoming more of my authentic self. And if I didn't have friends and supporters and community to like cheer me on, I don't know if I would have stuck with it because loneliness sucks. And it sucks losing the things that you think you are. And it feels like that's what more than anything, that's why psychedelics can be so beneficial is because they help us to remember the importance of social bonding, the importance of social connection, the importance of relationships. I There have been so many people that that I've talked to or that attended the retreats that I've done or whatever that have this intention of, Oh yeah, I want to learn how to become more creative or I want to learn how to like, what's my purpose. And then usually what ends up happening is they have this high dose experience and they're like, okay, I did some stuff on that. And what kept coming back was how much my wife means to me or how much my kids mean to me or how much my parents mean to me or how much, you know, like there's just these relationship elements that come to the forefront when we have these experiences. Cause we're like, I'm only human because of the, the relationships and connections that I have. And taking those away is central to all of the suffering that people are currently going through. It's just not feeling connected and seen and heard and loved and understood. And gosh, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I think I just painted a really bad picture for psychedelics around like, oh, you're going to change your life. All these things are going to shift. And I, I just love that anchor. And I think that's a beautiful way to like kind of wrap this conversation up with love and, and that psychedelics are a tool to help you see more of yourself. And if your current life isn't in alignment with who you truly are in your authentic core, it's going to present that to you in a way. And in order to make some of those changes and have them stick, sometimes you need friends and help and people. And that's what this podcast is about. It's about mastering the skill of psychedelics using tools like people, (laughs) using tools like podcasts and education talking to those who have done psychedelics in the past and can guide you in a way that that allows safety and trust and intentional healing and growth to exist and Paul I just love you dude you're like such a G like in fact like I've I, I love this conversation because we've had so many conversations off the mic just about life and love and all the things but like to like to just actually get to experience you know your mastery and your wisdom and like what you do so well in the world and to 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 hear even with the conviction that you speak and so that was actually one of my favorite things about you when we first met you were just like this fucking cowboy pioneer dude who is just like talking about you know the use of psychedelics in a way that i think most people are afraid to talk about in a public setting and i just admire that so much because i do believe that Psychedelics, and now the world is catching up with all the legalization and all these different. It's coming, like you said, it's a third wave, and it's really beautiful to just witness you kind of teach from the way you, that you teach, and to create all the resources you do. Like when I was prepping for my ayahuasca ceremony, like I remembered literally googling like prep for an ayahuasca ceremony, and like third wave was yeah. right at the top. Uh, got those SEO, got <laughs> those like, SEO things down, right? Yeah, no, and it's. I mean, more than anything, it's been an honor to do this work. I see myself more as a vessel for whatever's moving through, right? It's just, this is the times, so to say. This this has to happen. Psychedelics do need to become destigmatized and normalized. They're incredible tools. And with all the crises that we're facing, I think they provide a lot of insight and answers or maybe uncover 
a lot of insights and answers that we've kept hidden or repressed or tucked away. And um, the the sort of utility and integration of these medicines, I think, will be uh, profoundly important uh, in the next 10 to 20 years. For sure, brother. So thirdwave.co is the website, right? The thirdwave.co, correct. And then we have a podcast, the Psychedelic Podcast. Easy to remember. I've done over 175 interviews at this point in time with people across the spectrum. And then we have a training program for coaches and facilitators if folks want to learn more about that. And then the book is on Amazon, Mastering Microdosing. Uh, Just search for that on Amazon. And um, we have Kindle, paperback, and hardcover available. Amazing. Paul, I got one last question for you, brother. In the midst of everything you're doing, everywhere you've been and everywhere you're going, how do you stay grounded? My breath. And the remembrance that stillness is what the soul wants most. And that all this, all the distractions, you know, are just part of this illusion to keep us separated from, from our true selves. And the breath kind of sinking into that often reminds me of that truth. Mm. Oh, bro, you are just such a, such a G. I, I miss you. Can't wait to deliver a hug in person soon. But everybody, that is a wrap for this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I'm your host, Raj. This is your new friend, Paul. And from us, stay grounded. We'll chat real soon. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to live an extraordinary life. For more resources and support, please visit www.rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded to join the official Stay Grounded Facebook group, a place where aspiring life enthusiasts can connect and ignite passion for life together. My hope is that the positivity, content, resources, and support in this group will resonate with you on a deeper level. That what you hear in our podcast, read in our thoughtful posts, or learn in our courses will empower you to live with intention, uncover true purpose, and challenge the internal dialogues that stop you from being who you really want to be in your life. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Stay grounded.